0: The following is a production of Art Trap Productions, brought to you by the Gallifer Embassy, and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode brought to you by Podshock Supporting Subscribers. Go to arttrap.com, Podshock Supporter, to become a supporting subscriber. Support the show and get extra content and other bonuses. This episode is also brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. This episode is also supported by the Podshock Podcast Companion app for the iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch, now available in the iTunes App Store. Live trapped from inside a psychic box, it's Doctor Who Podshot Doctor Who Podshot Okay, well, let's do it no, you now Whatever it is, if it's valuable, send it to us
1: <laughs> For the best in all things Doctor Who, it's Doctor Who Podshock, The podcast all about Doctor Who, the longest running science fiction television program With Lewis Trapani Hello Ken Deep Hello James Norton. Hello. News. Fabulous. Reviews. Oh no. And fan mail for James. Over uh, 40,000. Doctor Who Podshock from the Gallifrey Embassy. You know, that
2: guy James was really cool. Oh yeah, we blew that. Podshock! I'm the doctor. And who are you? And who are you? Who are you? Will it be me,
1: Uncle? Yeah, it's gonna be you. I only wish I could go in your place in this. Nah, I don't, cos it's really gonna hurt. A nephew will drain your mind and your soul from your body and leave your body empty. Oh, I'm scared. Oh, I expect so, dear. But soon you'll have a new soul. Be a time lord, come in. Oh, it's the warning lights. I'm getting rid of those. They hey. never stop. And somebody's knocking. Come here, you scrumptious little beauty. (coughs) A box? Doctor, what is it? I've got mail. Time Lord emergency messaging system. In an emergency, we wrap up our thoughts in psychic containers and send them through time and space. Anyway, there's a living Time Lord still out there. And it's one of the good ones. You said there weren't any other Time Lords left. There aren't. No Time Lords left anywhere in the universe. But the universe isn't where we're going. See that snake? The mark of the Corsair. Fantastic bloke. He had that snake as a tattoo in every regeneration. Didn't feel like himself unless he had the tattoo or herself a couple of times. Ooh, she was a bad girl. Right now and burning up target rooms to give us some rally! Goodbye, swimming pool! Goodbye, scullery! Signer the squash core seven! Where are we? Outside the universe. Where we've never ever been. Is that meant to be happening? But the power is straining. Everything's straining, but it can't. That's it's impossible. What is that? It's as if the Matrix, the soul of the TARDIS, has just vanished. Where would it go?
0: The Gallifrey Embassy presents Doctor Who Parchock, episode 246. This is Louis Trapani, and joining me on this episode, as with our last episode, is uh, Dave A.C. Cooper. Hello, Dave, from Across the Pond.
3: I'm out of my pirate's outfit now and uh, ready for my space wardrobe.
0: Very good. And... Uh, well, I I know uh last time Terras was able to join us and um I'm not sure if he's able to uh he for this show if he is we'll we'll, we'll get him on. Um I, I know he had mentioned he was only able to do one show. So and if uh Ken Deep or James Norton comes on board while we're recording, we'll we'll have them on. As always, a spoiler warning. If this episode of Doctor Who we are reviewing The Doctor's Wife. So uh, obviously, if you have not seen it, uh, there will be spoilers. So something to be aware of and to take note of. I also want to remind everyone that next week, uh, you know, in addition to doing our live show reviewing the Rebel Flesh next Sunday, we also the day before on Saturday, we're having our meetup. On Second Life, and you're welcome to join us there. It's free of charge. All you need is the Second Life software, which is also free, and a broadband connection to the internet, and you'll get there. And uh, I, as I was, I sort of was getting to this on our last episode, and I think we got sidetracked. Uh, I need to confirm with Victor whether or not he's doing the TARDIS tours, but usually he does. And uh, last time we did some judging of different TARDISes that they had there, and maybe that's kind of kind of appropriate to uh to today's review episode but uh what you don't what if you don't know what TARDIS tours are it's just an opportunity to see other explore other places in Second Life which is a virtual 3D environment that are Doctor Who themed we have we hold the meetup in one area called Katrina which is um the Doctor Who uh, exhibition it used to be called the Doctor Who Experience and I, I say that only because I think on our website we it might still say experience on it. So just uh, know that it, it's been changed again. And um, also, if you go to our website, you'll get the full details. And there's also an intro video that Victor did that uh, gives you the rundown on, on um, you know on, on joining us and and using Second Life. So I hope to see you there. It's at 1 p.m. Second time, which is 1 p.m. Pacific time in the U.S., which is 4 p.m. Eastern, and um, I think that's 9 p.m. in the U.K., Dave? That's correct, yes. Okay. And then it usually ends with a disco at the end of the evening as well. Yes, yes. So there's an aftershock party, usually after... Uh, well, there's a after the TARDIS tours. There's the main party in Katrina, and then after that, there's usually an aftershock party for those um, in um, let's say on on the West Coast or in Hawaii that for you know would have been too early for them otherwise. So we're here for. Um this, uh, the doctor's wife, which once again, just like the doctor's daughter, is not exactly um, not to be taken exactly literally, as far as the title goes. So I, I know um, there was some fan reaction when the t- episode titles first came out, but I, I knew that you know obviously they're not going to give away too much in the title, and especially with uh, all this mystery about um, River Song, some people were trying to connect that to that and. We, we still, uh, that river song mystery still continues, and we'll be, res- we'll learn who she is later on in this series or the second half of the series, perhaps. So uh, the second, uh, <laughs> the Doctor's wife is directed by Richard Clark and uh, written by a unknown science fiction writer Neil. Now nah, I'm only kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Neil Gaiman, Make who in uh, trouble for that, <laughs> some obscure unknown writer they dug up somewhere, no one ever heard of, called Neil Gaiman, who actually is uh, is very well known, and there's been a lot of anticipation for this episode, and uh, you know a lot of people were going into this whether you know wondering whether or not it was going to live up to those expectations, or I don't want to say hype because they weren't really hyping this episode so much, but there was, I guess, some expectations on how good it's going to be. or And, and um, I, I think it probably lived up to it. I, I think it's, um, it's, it's great storytelling. But before I get into that, let's just run down some of the cast here. Uh, Idris, who's uh, played by Saran Jones. Uh, the voice of House is uh, Michael Sheen. And uh, the nephew, who's an Ood here, is Paul Casey, who we interviewed not long ago in February in Los Angeles on Doctor Who Pod shock. So you can check that out. I don't remember the episode number offhand, but uh, it's our live show in, from Gallifrey One in Los Angeles. So we interviewed Paul Casey there. So uh, the uncle is Adrian Schiller, and auntie is uh, Liz, Elizabeth Barrington. The story starts off with a the doctor getting some mail <laughs> you've got mail <laughs> 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 and delivered in a little psychic box which is Kind of cool. Uh, I don't know how efficient that is. And in the past, we've seen the Doctor getting calls from Gallifrey, and it's usually uh, via the TARDIS console. Yeah, that's like a, you know, we've never really seen the psychic box before being used. But uh, something new they introduced here. Again, I don't know how efficient that's. It's sort of like carrier pigeon, so I don't know how efficient that is to be used. Uh, But, if it, you know, it it works in this story, and it kind of... I, I guess if you used another way if it was just coming in through the console you wouldn't be able to tell the whole story I guess, uh, or at least it would have to be rewritten in, in a different way because we, we, see the, we see other boxes later on in the story uh, Yeah, and we're being reminded in text by Darth
3: and the Seventh Doctor that it's not new, it was used as a device in the war games Was it? The psychic box? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, the, the Doctor receives the thing for time to go to, the ask to, go to Gallifrey was it via a, a psychic box? I think so. I, um, I'm just going on what I'm reading in the text at the moment, but these are reliable guys who know what they're talking about. Okay, no,
0: about, I, I'm so. just trying to jog my own memory here. Uh in the same scene where where the doctor you know reads his mail, in a sense he's uh, he speaks of a another time lord with um, with a tattoo, and uh, and I guess here we get some sort of confirmation that I guess they can regenerate and change sex during a regeneration, which um, I don't have a. a a problem with that per se. The only thing I... My thing with Doctor Who and, and uh, what the Doctor can do and, and what the TARDIS can do and what the sonic screwdriver can do is that they just needs to have some sort of boundaries or limitations. And I always thought, well... And, and I felt the same thing when uh, the Ninth Doctor was about to regenerate and he was telling Rose, you know, he could have two heads or no heads or whatever. And I just thought that was a little... And I thought he was just being silly and all that. And... Uh, I just think that uh, you know you can regenerate into anything, you know. But they, they should have some sort of go- some sort of limitations or some sort of um, I don't know something that stays the same. And I figured, well, sex could be the thing that just stays the same. Everything else can change. Um, not that I, again, maybe sex can change, but there should be just something that is a limiting factor so that, you know, you don't regenerate into a dog or, uh, I don't know. I don't It's just one of those things. Even the sonic screwdriver, I think exceeds its limitations many times. And it's, it becomes too magical. And I, I, that's just, um, something that I I always feel that because Doctor Who in itself is such a magical format where you can go anytime, anywhere via the TARDIS, because of that, it's so open-ended that there should be other limitations to sort of balance things out, you know, like having 12 regenerations or have. I mean, obviously, Uh, then that needs to be broken because the show (laughs) would need to continue on uh it's not like after he uses up his his regenerations the show comes so close but just stuff like that just having those limitations set in place kind of balances out the 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 magical aspects of the rest of the show so um again i'm just going off on on a tangent here uh, Let me just say that in text they have put uh, the
3: link from the uh, wiki page, and uh, uh, the page is um,
0: oh, tardiswiki dot com. Yeah, wiki I was hypercube. I, I, didn't, I wasn't questioning them. I was just again trying to jog my own memory. You and know?
3: There's a link directly to the picture of the second Doctor holding one.
0: Okay, fair enough. I, 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 again, I'm just trying to recall it. Uh,
3: it passed me by. I must admit. So uh, well, we have people in the room. That's why we do that you know, that's shows. that's what's
0: great about the chat. And we should remind people that when we do the live shows, uh, not only can you call in, but if you're if you sign into Talkshoe, which is at TalkShoe.com you can join in on the live chat that goes on during the show. And, uh, Graham is usually good. When Graham's on the show, he usually keeps a good eye on the on the chat room here so that, you know, because I'm looking at many things at once when I'm doing this show, so it's kind of hard to monitor everything. So I, I appreciate, uh, Dave uh, right now, you know, keeping an eye on the chat room. Uh, yep, certainly am. Technically, uh, I, I again, I think this episode is done very well. Uh, my only, uh, Small gripe on on a technical aspect would be when um, Idris uh, Auntie and Uncle meet the doctor and company for the first time when after they land on this uh, burp bubble the bubble universe, if you will. the The camera kind of switches over to a cinema verte handheld style, and it, it's you start to feel a little seasick and and something I didn't feel during uh, the previous episode, which uh, you would expect, but it just sometimes when um when they do those uh handheld camera shots they, they, they kind of um deliberately move the camera more so to emphasize that motion or whatever and um i don't know perhaps this was uh, deliberate i mean it, it wasn't too off putting it just it just seemed to um and and, and maybe it was kind of deliberate in the storytelling process of doing that because you have these patchwork people coming in and um, it kind of disrupts the the flow of things and and it puts you off balance and and you're trying to figure out when watching this on the first time what's going on, and who are these people and and, um, so it it might be just part of the process. Uh, Again, just a nitpick there. Uh, some interesting things, though, uh, as we come to learn... We, we we did give the spoiler warning, right, at the head of this episode, so <laughs> all yeah. spoilers are... Uh, straight after
3: the spoiler clip, yes. we gave the spoiler warning.
0: So uh, <laughs> here we, we learn a little bit more about the Doctor and the TARDIS, and when the Doctor first uh, encounters the TARDIS and the TARDIS first encounters the Doctor. And... I, I thought that was interesting to learn, and, and again, it doesn't give too much away because I, that's another thing about Doctor Who is that I enjoy not knowing everything and, and keeping that mystery. It's Doctor Who, you know, w- with that question mark. Though Jane t insists on going further with that question mark, but it's it's that it sort of implies there's a question mark after who. So, you, you, well, we, we did hear the nice piece that um, they'd been traveling together for 700
3: years, which was nice. Um, uh, she, she, the, the TARDIS says that yes. and since we know the Doctor's over 900 we can assume he was 200 when he left Gallifrey so I mean, there's well, lots of yeah. very things you can infer as well
0: as what they said,
3: there's things you can infer from the statements
0: well, we learn that the Doctor when he first encounters the TARDIS, the first thing he says to the TARDIS is, is that uh, it's the most beautiful thing he's ever known so it's, it's fun imagining the first doctor saying that out loud. (laughs) Not that it's, it breaks character. It's just, it's just interesting, you know, having that William Hartnell, um, first doctor image saying that, uh, it's, it's great to see the TARDIS used as a character and speaking of the first Doctor, that goes back to the first series, the first season, and I'm not talking about, you know, I'm talking about the the very first, 1963 um, series, uh, which, um, the, the I think it's the Edge of Destruction, which has uh, the TARDIS takes a, a a part in the story, in a sense, and, and it's a bit of a spoiler alert there, but it, it goes back, you know, it's not a new concept, and it's something that over time during Doctor Who's uh, you know, 40 some odd years, 47, 48 years now that it it seems to have had been forgotten at times, you know, where it's you know, the Doctor always refers to it as a she or whatever but it, it's it's not really used as a character until more recently in more recent years uh, I, I think that, that was brought back and I, I think that's a good thing uh, and, and speaking of You know, going back to the, you know, again, as a reminder to the early days, the whole junkyard bubble there is very much a reminder of Totter's Lane, the junkyard where it all began. So and that's where we encounter this character, this entity known as House, which is um, I think it's a a hospital show on on the U.S. channel. But that's that's I think has nothing to do with this. (laughs) (laughs) So who or what is House? And again, do we really need to know? And I I think we kind of can just kind of take it that it's some sort of entity and um, its history and whatever doesn't really apply so much to the story. So but it's it's I think it works. I had mentioned that the, the the other characters, Auntie and Uncle, are sort of patchwork people that the house is keeping alive using various different parts of, um, I guess, people that that he that the house brings to this bubble universe. Though Idris herself doesn't seem... She seems to be complete, you know, as a, uh, physically as as a person. So maybe she's a, a later arrival, I'm assuming. Well, isn't she the one where he says the
3: rise to 20 years younger?
0: No, that's the, well, that's the right uncle. The, the uncle, ones, it right, was... okay. And he has two left feet. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's it, all the... Interesting stuff, especially for a long time Doctor Who fans. Uh, you know that stuff that we've been pining for, like seeing more of the TARDIS. We get to see in this episode, uh, we see the TARDIS corridors, even though uh, it's it's during when the house has taken over the the, the, the TARDIS vehicle, I should say, because the the, the TARDIS character itself is now in, embodied in Idris. So, but the the TARDIS vehicle separating from the character is uh, we see more of it, even though it's it's just car- corridors. Uh, and, and it's lit in a dark, gloomy way because um, that's the, the way, uh, you know, The even the, the control room is lit that way when House has taken over it. So it uh, be interesting to see if we see more of these corridors in the future, especially now that they, you know, if, if now that they constructed that part of, you know, these corridors, if they, you know, hopefully if they can store them and, and use it again for future episodes, it'll be kind of cool.
3: So it's always good I to have... Think they'd be cer- I would think they'd be certainly digitized, and used in any future games, because there seems to be a lot happening on the game front. Oh yeah, not n- not only the games that are already in line, but there's supposed to be another game project that's not even being talked about at the moment that is yet to come. So I mean, that's why I think they were they chose a very regular. Shape and pattern formalized shape to those it, it's, almost honeycomb shaped yeah.
0: again, didn't they? Yeah, it, it, and and they can be used in any which way so you don't have to worry about, you know, you can have those doors open to anything, sort of like uh, the corridors of the Enterprise sets, you know, where, you know mm. they make them very similar so that they can rearrange them and um, be reused and they're not too, you know, restricted on, you know, this, this is this or oh, this is that. It could be multi-purposed. Uh, but speaking of those corridors, it's those are very interesting scenes uh, between Amy and Rory when they're being you know, the, the heads were being messed up with, you know, by the the house was messing with them. I should say, uh, I thought those uh, were interesting scenes, and I th- I thought Rory really comes into another dimension, you know, where he's not so. Um, uh, you know, he, he he's a bit aggressive here and hostile to Amy which is, uh, you know, something that we have, again, this isn't the real Rory or this is something that is being planted into uh, Amy's head, but it's still interesting to see And he got the beard he was asking for in the last episode Oh <laughs> Yeah, yeah um, so lots of interesting things. Yeah, when we saw, uh, you know, it's, it's been a couple of years now since they put out that Blue Peter competition for uh, a TARDIS um, console design. And we were all thinking that it was going to be what we saw in the lodger and all that. And uh, but if you go back to what that original contest was, it was sort of a patchwork pack again, I don't mean to overuse that word, but uh, if you go back to the original contest, they said to use just like regular household items and stuff to kind of patch together a TARDIS control console, and, and that's what we got, and that's when when that scene was coming, and we saw that, you know, the Doctor was going to build a TARDIS, I was like, ah, now we're finally going to get to see that, and then if you see Doctor Who Confidential, it was, that was proven to be correct, that's what they used. So, uh, and, and that Uh, control room that little mini thing they uh, mini TARDIS if you will that they build is uh, very uh, retro looking so I I thought that was pretty cool the pull to open reference that Idris makes or the TARDIS makes um, I I guess we'll call her Idris while you know um, just to you know to separate her from the physical Mm. TARDIS uh, yeah. which, it was you know that pull to open. I always, I never thought that to be wrong. That the, I, I always thought that was to pull open to get to the little phone box. You know, so that that sign, I didn't, you know, I always thought that that you do pull it to open to get to the little phone that's in there, and that's what that was meant. You know, so you can call for, for police assistance. I never thought the pull to open meant for the doors, but again, I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of.
3: I think that's what what many people would think, but uh, I'm sure uh, one of the other callers when they come on will be able to uh, explain that the doors can actually open both ways and have done in the past.
0: Mm -hmm. Again, just like last episode, many... uh lighthearted moments humorous moments um but it it was also balanced by more dramatic moments as well you know where the the, the doctor gets emotional and um but there's lots of um humorous moments as well as so, you know the references to the bunk beds and um <laughs> rooms being de- you know the, the whole thing about rooms being deleted uh, that's a nice uh, nice to use to, 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 for that concept to be used again i mean i if, if I think it goes back to, I think it was maybe first used with Romana's room. And, um, you know, I, again, a fourth Doctor story. So it's good to yeah. see that these concepts are still being um, used and having the console, the control rooms being archived in the TARDIS and and still being available. And if that's the case, I, I know it, it would have been cool. I, I realize the budget constraints and all that, but it would have been cool maybe if... Um, Maybe on his on his way to that control room, Rory opened up another door, and we saw maybe like the 14th season control room. You know, that's just sort of he doesn't walk into it, but you kind of just see it behind the door, you know, open the doors. And uh, I don't well, know, well, but, uh, but there uh, would be passcode, con- uh, they would have to have a passcode yeah. for it. But I don't know, it would just be nice yeah. to have just a little something, you know. If you uh, last episode on Dr. Who, Chuck, Dave, you had uh, made a reference to um, a Star Trek Next Generation. Uh, Episode. Oh, uh, I think it was that. And uh, there, there was also one of those Star Trek Next Generation episodes. They, they, uh, they rebuilt the original TARDIS, uh, the, the original bridge of the original Enterprise, and used that and kind of tying it back to the original series. So. Um, well, they did that for Scotty in yeah, the yeah. Uh, that's what I'm talking the, about. The, that's that's that's, oh, that's that's the one that I'm talking about exactly. With so. no blubbing A B R C on there. <laughs> so it, it would have been cool yeah. just to get a glimpse of one of the uh, you know original TARDIS control rooms, uh, if if not just in the background. But I understand that you know there's only so much they can do here, and it was good just to see the ninth and tenth Doctors. Control room. Though it could be argued that that control room started with the eighth doctor at some point, because um, if you go back to Rose, you know, the doctor seems to, you know, and, and we could not to get too much in a rat hole here on a sidetrack, but uh, you, you could argue that the doctor had just regenerated in that episode because he was just, you know, he seemed to be surprised when he saw himself in the mirror and but that's another thing. <laughs> I'm just saying that if he just freshly regenerated maybe after the time war or whatever, it, that control room could have actually started with uh, at some point in the 8th unseen, you know, some unseen story with the 8th Doctor. All right. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm getting too far into a rat hole here, so let's get back to the um the Doctor's wife. Uh
1: I
3: well, uh, the...
0: go ahead. I was going to say, there's lots of things here. I
3: mean, I, I was slightly unnerved at the start of it because the lady uh, who uh, actually played the Idris, the doctor's wife, Suran Jones, who actually uh, was born uh, only a few miles from where I live in Charlton Oldham, but um, uh, I remember her from that awful, awful Sarah Jane Adventures, Mona Lisa's Revenge. And I'm not saying that the lady didn't impress me as an actor but it was the way they'd had to portray, you know, a Cockney um, Mona Lisa. Uh, So that was sort of influencing my opinion at the beginning. So I was a little unnerved at the beginning of the story, but I felt this story grow and grow on me, and the more that things were uh, divulged about the past of the the TARDIS, and and done... uh, as I'm sure other callers will say, you know, in, in nice little dribs and drabs, it wasn't overlaid, but, but there's also other things that you can extrapolate or um, work out from those little facts. I mean, I mean, like the one I mentioned that um, they'd been traveling together for 700 years. Mm-hmm. So you can do some deductions from that. Um, we had the, it was, I was slightly disappointed that Neil Gaiman had only uh, shown us some corridors for uh, and we didn't see any new rooms, we didn't see the the library or anything, but um, basically we've also got to assume that um, the doctor had, had sent them off on a bit of a fool's errand, as it were, to, to get them out of the way, or into, out of harm's way, should I say, into the safety, he thought, of the TARDIS. Uh, of course, that, that turned out to be uh, quite an ordeal uh, f- for the two of them. Um, I, I, one of the best parts I liked about it was... Um, uh, the one scene where Amy seems to be in the dark, but Rory isn't, and then he goes ahead and you hear her knock, and uh, she says, "Are you all right?" And he says, "Yeah, I'm okay. Just knock my head." And then she walks past his um, his body, you know, limp mm-hmm. on the floor, as it were. Yeah. And then, in true in true House of Horror style, she puts her hand forward and feels the wet spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, a very yeah, ood experience yeah, yeah, so, so, so that was rather nice and uh, Martin Sheen I didn't recognise his voice at all, I mean they'd done it so differently he's very well known here in the UK uh, he was uh, he played uh, in Dam United where he played uh, the football manager he, he's play, he played uh, in the Nixon film um, you know where he played David Frost who interviewed mm-hmm. Nixon he's played he's um, played um, the Prime Minister in um, uh, different films he's a really brilliant character actor. In fact, I think he would make a brilliant Doctor. But um, that uh, that that was good. There were lots of other things uh, when you said about the uh, the consoles, and she said, "I've got about thirty of them stored now." He said, "Well, we've changed the desktop twelve times, <laughs> and, and she's <laughs> already got four uh, future ones." Yeah, yeah, that's open, interesting. Uh, yeah, well, if, as we know from Rose and Bad Wolf, when Rose actually put, you know, absorbed the uh, the essence of mm-hmm. the uh, TARDIS, she could see all of time and space. So we have to assume that the Matrix has access to that information as well. So presumably, you know, she knows about these future things before he does. But it was a lovely switcheroo. The fact that you know, here we think that the, the Doctor uh, dis dis um you know uh, disillusion with Gallifrey you know goes off for seeking adventure and so on uh, and in actual fact, uh, he thought he chose her, but she'd left the door unlocked, and she chose him and he might give the TARDIS back,
0: but she was not give him back. That was all lovely, lovely stuff. Yeah, and I, I think explanation that, w- that works very well because you would think that maybe the, the, in their wisdom, the Time Lords would put some sort of failsafe that if someone was to steal a TARDIS, it would come back to them. Sort of like LoJack in, in the US or whatever. You know that that they would somehow have. Uh, but this TARDIS wanted to go off and explore as well, so it sort of kind of makes sense that and and just their relationship throughout the years that how well they sort of work together and just, you know, the way the Doctor said to Idris, you know, that I, you know, you've never I am paraphrasing here, you've never you've never taken me, you know, to the right place, whatever, where I wanted to go, but no, but I've taken you where you needed to go, that type of stuff I think worked very well.
3: Yeah, well one, one, I'm going to get slayed for this, but one thought that just came into my mind is, um, if you think to, to Avatar, the uh, the movie. Where, I haven't uh, seen it. You know, All <laughs> so. uh, uh, oh, right. Well, well where they, they they have these creatures that they fly on the backs of and mm-hmm. they have this sort of neural network linked with them through their, the thing in their hair. And basically, you know, they say that the rider and the and the creature choose each other and they have a bond. Uh, and obviously the doctor's bond. And it's been referred to, obviously, in, uh, I think it was in the school reunion where... Uh, where Sarah Jane Smith and uh, uh, Billy uh, not Billy Piper uh, and Rose are talking and say does he still stroke the TARDIS you know, do you two want to be alone and things like that so all these things were great uh, uh, and one thing we ought to get to the the people in the room but the other last thing I would say is that um, for new viewers of the show it also perhaps explains something for them that may have been something that they were scratching their head over that sometimes the doctor goes where he says he's going and other times he seems to turn up somewhere randomly yeah. and it's not in his control. Well, this is quite neatly uh, given that because, you know, he he says to her, well, while we can talk, you you know, you never go where I want you to go. And he she says, well, no, but i take you where you need to go. Uh, so that has resolved uh, our neatly dealt with that. And, and uh, uh, I think I, uh, that's all I'll say because other people in the room yeah. will have lots of other little things that were... Brought about, which make this for many long-standing Who fans um, a really great story. And I don't think Mike Malathor is on audio, but um, his one comment was that um, you know this is a story really for the fans, where other stories have been to get people on board. um, I don't know the eleventh hour or whatever, where you know you're leading people into the story. This is one for. Fans to sort of uh, giggle and gloat over things, and also there was the very sad moment at the end. And uh, one or two stoic members of certain podcasts have been known to shed a tear over that little scene, um, mm-hmm. w- along with the doctor.
0: But, um, well, maybe it's time to, yeah. I should remind people to call in you can call 724 444 7444. During the live show, uh, once this is recorded and goes out on our feed, we won't still be here, but during our live show, that's the number to call, and the call ID number is 23358, so you you need to call that number and then punch in 23358. Once again, the number is 724-444-7444, and we're going to play... And if I can just... Sure.
3: Sorry, i just give my rating, sorry, about
0: four and a half out of five for me. Okay, all right, I was... I was going to save that for for later, but that's fine. Okay. Can you get a message
1: to Amy? Getting a message. Hello, pretty. Don't worry. Telepathic messaging. No, that's worrying. You have to go to the old control room. I'll send you the pass key when you get there. I directed him to one of the old control rooms. There aren't any old control rooms all. I archived them. We've got about thirty now. But I've only changed the desktop. What a dozen times. So far, yes. You can't. Can't something that hasn't happened yet! You can't! You're doing it, you sexy thing! So you do call me that. Is it, my name! You finish your name! Woo! We're coming through! Get out of the way or you'll be atomized! Amy, this is... Well, she's my target. Except she's a woman. She's a woman and she's my target. Did you wish really hard? Shut up, not like that. Hello. I'm... Sexy. Oh, he's just... still shut up. Doctor,
2: why shouldn't I just kill you
1: now? I can kill you just as easily here as anywhere. Fear me. I've killed hundreds of Time Lords. Fear me. I've killed all of them. It's never enough. you force a TARDIS into a body so she'd burn out safely a very long way away from this control room. Her flesh body can't hold the TARDIS matrix and live. Look at her body house. And you think I should mourn her? No. I think you should be very, very careful about what you let back into this control room. You took her from her home, and now she's back in the box again, and she's free. No. Doctor, Stop, Stop this. Stop this now.
0: Look at my girl. Look at her
1: go. Finish him off, girl. so very dark in here.
2: I'm here.
1: I've been looking for a word. A big, complicated word, but so sad. I found it now.
3: Alive.
1: I'm alive. Alive isn't sad. It's sad when it's over. I'll always be here. But this is when we talked. And now even that has come to didn't get to say to you. Goodbye. No, I just wanted to say hello doctor. It's so very, very nice to meet you. Please, I don't want
0: I should thank Dave once again for preparing those clips. Done very well. Excellent, Dave. Thank you once again. Cheers.
3: Thank you. And uh, some doctor's just put in text um, that bit of goodbye reminded
0: him of Astrid's last scene in The Voyage of the Dam. Hmm. Yes. Which, uh... Astrid is a, um... um, What's the word I'm looking for? It's it's spelled differently. TARDIS. You can, um... Oh, that's true. Yes, it's an anagram. Anagram. Thank you. Yeah. But uh, Idris is a uh, sort sorry, of interest is a uh, sort of a Tardis like as well, even though it's not an, an anagram.
3: Uh, so we could. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, I am I mean with Dar for mentioning Voyage of the Damned, which neither I or he like. But the, the, I was just reading. I was doing my job as a co-host reading <laughs> yes. out what was in the text.
0: Yes. So once again, we're going to be taking uh, Pachak supporting subscribers first, and uh, you can learn how to become a Pachak supporting subscriber by going to either Pachak dot net or Gallifrenobusly dot org. And there's a banner there on the top of the page, and by uh, you can learn how to become one. These live shows on you know over the net that we're doing right now are made possible in part by supporting subscribers, and we can only bring you this show uh, with your support from um, from our listeners. So we are always. Um, grateful tremendously grateful for that and um so again a big thank you if you are already a, a supporter and um and if you're not we hope you become one and go to either arttrap.com or podshock.net or org and you can learn how to become one it's really makes a tremendous difference so um you can call in right now to our live show it's 724-444-7444 caller call ID number is 23358 we have Kobo 4747 on the show once again welcome back
1: hey Lewis. hey all how are you uh, doing this is probably my favorite episode of the new series and probably my th- third favorite episode of all time
0: so you really enjoyed this one this makes up for the last one then I hope for you
1: yeah, yeah, it totally did. And on the back of this episode, Matt Smith became my favorite doctor.
0: Really? So you had mentioned yeah. that you started with the Ru- last week, well, not last week, last episode. You had mentioned that you had started with the Russell T Davies era. So you started with Christopher Eccleston, yeah. right? Have you had a chance to see the other doctors? Have you seen any. Since that time, since the. in the past six years, have you gone back and watched any of the older stories?
1: I've tried to see at least a few episodes Mm -hmm. from each doctor. Okay. Especially on Netflix. You know, there are a lot of them available to watch digitally. via Netflix.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Right. There are.
0: Do you feel do you feel sort of like this story sort of ties it all together?
1: Oh, yeah. and the confidential was nice. I mean, was back played all the old clips referencing the tortoise.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I thought the confidential was really it just added
0: to Yeah, the- I I really enjoyed the confidential. I I know we're not yet to review the confidential which is a sort of for those that don't know the Who confidential is sort of a making of documentary that coincides, runs parallel to each new episode. They every new episode of Doctor Who Confidential is sort of a making of that particular Doctor Who episode of that week. So uh this week's was called Bigger on the Inside and uh they had a lot of clips that they tied into the you know, the older series and um from all various previous doctors on you know and their relationship with the TARDIS and talking about the TARDIS and uh you know, so it was good having that. I, I enjoyed that.
1: My favorite moment was when House was playing with Amy's head and all the writing on the wall was Yeah. It was the most intense moment of the whole episode and it was just really,
0: really awesome. Well, here someone someone that she loves so much, and and is now betraying her on the walls of the TARDIS, and this deep hatred that you know this uh, figment of um, Rory is you know towards Amy. It was interesting.
3: It was very interesting. Yeah, we we got to also assume that as well that although we we see through Amy's eyes that. Rory's experiencing those. For all we know, in another part of the Tardis, Rory was having a similar, you know, uh, could be, yeah. He's be yeah. He he could be walking in down the corridor and seeing the doctor and Amy together because that's one of his fears. Mm-hmm. We we don't really know what
0: What he's saying. You know, whether he was actually his experiencing those are yeah. some of the experience. Yeah.
3: That's an interesting theory. I
1: never thought of it like that, but Another thing that I've noticed this season, since Rory and Amy are together, I feel like they've both grown as characters, more so than mm-hmm. any other companions. Definitely, I didn't really see much growth in any of the other companions.
0: Like, yeah, no, I, 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 I think so as well. You know that that we're, we're seeing them grow together, which I like. And of course we're
3: seeing a male companion now, which was often the case in the past. So um, for for a lot of people who have only started watching from, as you said, the Ninth Doctor, uh, it's probably quite a change of dynamic to have, a, you know, the male companion. I know he's been in it for some time now, but um, it, it's something that that longer time fans were pressing for, for, well, <laughs> since it came back, really.
0: Yeah, yeah
1: really understand why I love this episode so much you really have to know something about me and why I got into Doctor Who was five six years ago I was just looking for stuff to listen to because I'm in a wheelchair and my first experience with a doctor was via Radio 7 and one of Paul McGann's Mm -hmm. adventures.
3: Sure. Oh, they were excellent, yeah.
1: I know everybody gets a lot of flack for the 96 movie, which was horrible. But he was my first doctor, so I will always love him because of the big finish stuff.
0: Well, those, yeah, oh, some of those chimes of midnight and spare parts. Yeah, and, and those radio series that, uh, that that he did, you know, back then were, were were great. You know, I mean, they were big finish slash, you know, on BBC um, Radio Seven, I think it was. Uh, some great adventures there. Yeah.
3: It's now changed its name to uh, Radio Four Extra. So if you find it, you can't see the channel, it's Radio Four Extra, and there are some Doctor Who adventures coming up. I think. In actual fact, uh, Stephen Moffat has been tweeting about it today.
0: I don't
1: know, I love Yes Renew for Extra. Just a minute and everything else. I mean ever since my life got bad, it's not just Doctor Who that saved my life, but Doctor Who's the main part of it. And I just loved David and this episode like surprised me in the fact that it made me love Matt Smith, even more.
0: Yeah, you can see um, in, in Matt Smith's portrayal, you, you know, you can see many, I don't know, it's just one of these things that you do as a Doctor Who fan, sometimes you can see other Doctors within him. And um, and I, I think I, I saw at some glimpses of uh, the 10th Doctor in him as well in the story.
1: I think that might've been why I liked this particular story so much. And because of what was going on around me at the time when I was watch, watching this. Because being disabled, I have no specific caretaker on Saturdays
0: mm-hmm.
1: anymore. And um, the caretaker I had just past Saturday was one of my least favorite people. And I could just tune in to Doctor Who and, like...
0: Tune out of the rest of the world. Escape. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And that's invaluable. I mean, it really is one of well, the primary methods I use for escape. Yeah. And that's one of one of the things I love about Podshock as well, is you can provide
0: more of that. Well, thank you. Thank you. I mean, I, mean, I think... I think we all can speak to that where that's what, one of the things we enjoy so much about Doctor Who is that we can for either 25 minutes or 45 minutes, depending on which type of episode you're watching, you can just leave this earth and leave this time and just go off on an adventure and forget about the rest of your worries beyond, you know. I, I think it's true escapism really.
1: And I love
0: seeing more of the Yes. Yeah, same here.
1: Even though I would have loved to have seen the Doctor study like we did in the Adventure Games, why didn't they build that set?
0: <laughs> well, at the
1: same time,
0: it, everything comes down to uh, money and time, though. Uh, it, but it was good to see uh, the you know the previous control room again and we did see a glimpse of it in the trailer for the series so it made everyone start thinking oh or, you know is is the 10th doctor coming back or you know there were all this wild speculation of what was going on so uh that little mystery is now solved What
1: question did the control room change at all during um tom baker's
0: Ten years, Doctor. Well, yeah, he had it did, and 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 once one particular year, and I made a mention of it, uh, I think, early in the show, uh, season fourteen, they used a a completely different control room, which was a uh, like a a wooden um, motif, yeah, uh, bra- wooden and brass, wasn't it? Yeah. Like a, which a Victorian? Uh, which I think the Doctor said it was his second. Secondary control room or something of, uh, to that effect, and yes, secondary control room. Yeah. So uh, it was interesting then, because that uh, seeing that the TARDIS had more than one control room, you know, and uh, and again to make another comparison to, uh, I don't mean to, to, I know we've done this a few times already, to uh, to Star Trek was that Star Trek had a, a secondary bridge as well. So it's sort of um, not that there's any correlation there, but it's it's just it's always good to learn a little bit more about the TARDIS.
1: So why do you think that Tom Baker control room changed if he's the same doctor and has the same personality because the control rooms according
0: to Ed reflect the doctors yeah well it it, it does reflect the doctor to some point, but it also reflects the, the current producer as well. So Tom Baker's mm-hmm. control room changed when his producers changed as well. So the, uh, it, it was updated when, like, for instance, like when John Nathan Turner came on board as producer, the, uh, the it, it was updated a little bit then. And the, the console itself stayed the same until later on during uh, the 20th anniversary during Peter Davison's era. They updated that. But it's um yeah it, it it has changed, and uh the the one thing I did like of what John Turner did was give some unity to uh to the rest of the the um the TARDIS where you see columns and the round rolls and all that where previously before that which uh you saw on the confidential and um i think it's um the, the invasion of time whatever where they they actually use like a a, a, um, a an old hospital, or whatever, and, and their brickwork and all that, and it, it doesn't look very Tardis-like. No, no. Uh, but again, with with, with this old fashioned wood one, wasn't that about the time
3: of Chal- uh, Talons of Wai Chang and the, the doctor wearing a deer and the sort of s- semi Sherlocky Holmes type of feel to things? I may may have got my seasons wrong, but uh, and of course that was the the Tardis console that uh, Sarah Jane Smith. Uh, leaves uh,
0: the Doctron yeah. yeah, he's not Crichton it, it's uh, where we bid farewell to Sarah Jane Smith and, uh, and Leela comes on board yeah alright well Any thank c- yeah uh, Kobo would you like to give uh, I'm, I'm assuming you're going to give it 5 out of 5 TARDIS groans. definitely
1: 5 out of 5 alright um, like I said best of zone since um. Uh, forest of the dead or silence of Larry.
0: Very good. All right. Well done. All right. Well, thanks again for calling and um hopefully um maybe next week you can join us again.
3: Yeah, the only what the only water in the forest is the stream. Yes. Or is it the river?
0: The, ri- the river. All right. Well, thanks once again and we're uh next one up is um a big mystery to us, mystery presenter. Welcome back to the show.
2: Hello, Lewis.
0: Long time, yeah. no Hello, talk. <laughs> How Hi. you been?
2: Um, one thing I have to the first thing I have to say is when you saw the um the te- the nine and tenth doctors control room, I kind of jumped like with excitement. Just you know to see it. Um also I think they probably used it because if it's already set still set up, it was probably cheaper to use. Well they um, had
0: personally. that set set no. they had that set established and uh during the if you've seen the confidential yeah. the actors will say that they had to pass that to get to the, the to the new control room, so they were wondering why they were keeping it around. So I guess now they can finally uh, well, I, I guess they did uh, move that set out, because isn't that part of the Doctor Who experience now? Um, in in um, well, the, well,
3: the thing was, again, wasn't it, that this episode apparently
0: was going to be where the Lodger episode
3: would have been, so the, the, whether they kept it on longer or whether they actually filmed those sequences out of order, you know, the sequences yeah. that took place in that console, maybe they did those on different weeks than when they filmed the rest of the episode.
0: Yeah, I'm but assuming that this, this was shot... This this was, I'm assuming this was shot probably uh, uh, several, you know, well, it's May now, so I would say, you know, if, several months ago. Right.
2: Um, also, the other piece I liked in the episodes was where the aunt, auntie and uncle were dying. Especially, I like the piece where uncle gets up and says, I feel fine, and then claps. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I, again, I think um, uh, Dave pointed out how good of an actor Michael Sheen is, and I, I think um, that that is represented there, because it, it just worked so well. I feel fine, and then he just collapsed. Yeah. It, it sort of reminds well, me it, of... It was, it was Adrian Schiller who played the uncle. Oh, oh yeah, okay, am I getting my... Um... Actors yeah. mixed up. It's Michael Sheen who did the the, the, the voice. House. Yeah. Adrian Schiller played the only Yeah, one. I'm getting I'm getting my, my Casey
3: of course played the nephew, but he,
0: he's you know if you want an alien you call Paul Casey. Yeah, my mistake, my bad.
2: Also, one thing like I think, and um, when they were going to the in the TARDIS when House was in there, I think like the we saw his pop House was playing with the charges corridors and that. Um puppies, like when they show you inside again, if they have to, it'd probably be different to the,
0: the you, are you talking about when the
2: when Amy goes to the
0: you're talking about the corridors? Yeah. Well, I'm sure they'll be lit differently. That right now, I think for this episode, they were lit very dark and ominous, and uh, just like the rest of the TARDIS was when it was taken over by the House. So, I think if we see those corridors again, it'll probably be lit in a way that it's more um, friendly.
3: Yeah, I suppose what you're saying is whether whether it was the House that actually created the new those new oh. corridors to trap them or whether they were just corridors
0: yeah. to, Well I, since they found, s- seem to be familiar them. with them I'm assuming that they, that's the way they look all well, you know they didn't seem to be like like what are these corridors they weren't here before that's what my guess yeah, is and that's what
3: I thought but there are interpretations of it but I assume that he'd, cause he cuz he refers to having looked at the schematics cuz uh, house doesn't know about the second console room because of course that was coming from um, the the TARDIS yeah. uh, and her archive
0: yeah so overall how um, how? So, I'm sorry go ahead
2: yeah um, also one thing when they were running through the corridor there wasn't many doors to office like for rooms and that as far as I could see
0: I mean uh, like entrance ways yeah yeah. Yeah, you didn't see any doorways, you're quite right.
2: Yeah. Well the I, only one that like I saw it was the one that Amy got went through and then closed them right. Which led yeah. back into the corridor.
0: Well I I yeah, suppose so there
3: sliding doors across the corridors, but there weren't apparent doors in yeah, the room. Yeah.
2: Also the one thing I about the ooze like I think he's probably one of the ones that was made into a servant that found his way. When the doctor was fixing the ball team, I don't think it was the natural with their brain.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't, the ood was sort of. Um,
3: well, they were for sale. You remember the planet yeah. ood? They were actually selling them servants, weren't yeah. they? So whether well, he'd been a servant aboard one of the spaceships that then got stranded there. And he was obviously, the reason why he had the green eyes, one assumes, is because he was being powered up by House. And that seemed to be yeah. controlled by green light because we had the battle at the end of the the golden light from the TARDIS, uh, vanquishing the green light that was supposedly representing House.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. So uh, uh, I found interesting when you had house on the outside, when you was up near the top, where you could see it through the letters, or uh, just above the door, like shining in.
0: Um, you mean like like that vapor? Um, yeah. Hmm.
2: Well, right, and Tammy could see. Yeah. I mean, like, there's the problem.
3: Yeah, it wasn't. I wasn't too sure at that point whether it was the doctor that had uh, deadlocked the door of the TARDIS when he got his screwdriver out, or whether it was House locking them inside.
0: Yeah. Well, we're made to believe it was the Doctor that locked them in to, to you yeah. know, in his view was safe. to make them safe. But um, yeah. obviously, it turned out to be different. And and again, that that's doctors, another. Th- I i can kind of you know. It's, it's it's sort of like the sonic screwdriver is getting more and more capabilities but I, I can accept that it's alright it, it's 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 sort of like a fob keychain thing for the, your car <laughs> you can lock the doors I mean we've seen it before any last, yeah,
3: any last things to mention So we we do have a couple of other columns yeah. to move on to
2: yeah um, no I think that's it
0: alright well and how many TARDIS groans out of five would you give it
2: um, I think I give me four. I was five.
0: Okay. All right. Very good. Well, thank you once again, mystery presenter. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Bye. Before we move on, just to quickly remind people that audible dot com, you can uh, go there and find more audible goodness that you're finding here on our podcast. Cast here. Audible is the leading provider of digital audiobooks. They have over 85,000 titles to choose from in every genre, including science fiction and fantasy, what we're talking about right now, but also romance, business, um, and well, pretty much you name it, they have it. And uh, their titles are available for the iPhone, Kindle, Android, over 500 devices uh, for listening anytime, anywhere, just like this podcast. And for you listeners of Dr. Pachok, Audible is offering a free audio book download with a free 14-day trial to check them out. And you can get your free audiobook, and it's yours to keep by going to audibletrial.com. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash for your free audiobook and once you go there you can check out their selection they have uh, a huge selection of Doctor Who titles and again you're not limited to that you can choose anything that they have to offer for your free audiobook and um, check them out uh, once again uh, lastly it's um, audibletrial.com slash pawchock and um, get your free audiobook our final call I believe will be Darth Skeptical hello Darth welcome back to the show Hello,
4: sir. Well, you know, I think that this is sort of the exact opposite of the kind of stories that Moffat tends to write. It's really, really short on plot and very long on character. I mean, when you think about it, really all that happens here is that the Doctor comes to a bubble universe, a uh, malevolent and unexplained enemy jacks his ride, and then the Doctor chases down his stolen TARDIS, kicks the intruder out. That's really all of substance that happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, um, you know, that simple plot, though, it allows for some of the very best character beats in the history of the show. Mm -hmm. It does a lot of really, really useful things with some incredibly economic language and tonality. Now, uh, economic language, let's talk about that for a second, because we are talking about one of the premier writers of fantasy in the world. So we do have to take a look at his use of language. And I, I think there's one, lot of great scenes. you know, where you get a lot of information really quickly. You just get phrases thrown at you. And when you think about the phrases, they open up to reveal a lot of things of import. But let's just look at one. And that's at the very end, sort of, where um, she says, that that is, Idris says, um, a big, now I'm forgetting it, Uh, it's a big, complicated word. Yeah.
3: Alive.
4: Mm -hmm. And when you think about that, it's really not a big word, but it is. It's huge. It's five letters, but to be alive is, is a huge thing. And I I don't know, you know, even Moffat, with all of his, you know, writing skill, I'm not sure that he could have found that simplicity. Mm -hmm. Even RTD, I'm not sure. Maybe. RTD might have hit upon that that phrase at some point, but I, I just think it's, that's just one example. But I think that there's a lot of lovely little phrases that are thrown in that instantly give you a lot of information. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit in awe of it, really.
0: Um, but let's look at some other well, things. Uh, but I, I, I agree very... with you. Oh, sorry. I I just wanted to say that I agree with you. I thought that was a nice touch because she hints upon it earlier on in the episode, and she doesn't come to the word, and she's like she's trying to think of something that's complex and this word, and and so we're left kind of like dangling on what what that word is. And um, but when it's revealed, I I think you know it all makes sense. You know, it's it's simple yet very complicated, and uh, and sad as well because she as she explains because you know everything. Uh, that it's alive comes to an end. Yeah.
4: Yeah. I mean, just really quite deft, really wonderful stuff. And, and since you're talking about that, you know, it, the the whole, um, out of order way in which she's speaking, because she's trying to come to grasp with linear. Mm-hmm. Arm, yeah. Um, you know, that she greets the doctor with goodbye and, and, you know, says farewell with hello. Um, that, I thought, was really quite lovely, and, and, and actually, in itself, if you really think about it, it's the very nature of not just being a TARDIS, but being a Time Lord,
0: mm-hmm.
4: and explains a lot about his psyche and why he doesn't necessarily relate to us, relate to people in um, the way that we might expect of other television heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he just has a different perspective, and I think this this show really gives us the different perspective in in a way that I mean it's sort of a rehash of what Tubby Whithouse does in School Reunion in a way, you know, and and the explanation that we get there of how the doctor's life is different to Rose and why Rose can't yeah. have a relationship with him the same way, mm-hmm. but does it so much more subtly? I think, um, but not necessarily better, but certainly in. In a way that demonstrates, it shows more than it tells. And that's that's a great thing for a writer to have. I think, too, you know, a lovely thing about this episode is that it, I think, once and for all, dispenses with this story type that was very common in wilderness years fiction. That is, in New Adventures, uh Eighth Doctor Adventures particularly, um, books, that sort of thing, of a TARDIS being personified. You know, that old hoary chestnut has come out so many times. If you spend any time on forums, you you hear from time to time, if there's ever a mysterious woman, be it the woman from uh, the
0: end of time, be it... Astrid, and I don't yeah. bring in her. Name, well, I was gonna, I, are, I was gonna bring her up again, but I was afraid to bring. <laughs> right, right, right. right. Um, you know,
4: everybody. It, there was a lot of speculation. Then. There was a time that Christina D'Souza was in this category of, oh, she's going to turn out to be the TARDIS. Certainly, one of the theories that's going around right now is that River Song is going to be the TARDIS. But I think that what's great about this episode is that we do this episode to satisfy fans who apparently want to have this kind of story told. But we do it in such a way that it can only happen for 18 minutes or whatever the you know, mm-hmm. length of time yeah. that Idris stays alive. Yeah. And then she's dead. And, and as the doctor explains, you can't eat a TARDIS. You can't have a TARDIS poured into a human body without it killing them. Mm -hmm. So it's one and done with this kind of story. We can move on after a very well-told tale, after getting lots of great information, lots of fun out of this concept, lots of great interaction, and things that help better define the mythology of Doctor Who. But we're not stuck with this character, like in the Eighth Doctor Adventures, where we were stuck with Compassion, who's maybe somebody you've never even heard of before, I don't know. Uh, But, you know, she was hanging around forever and then went into Faction Paradox, and the whole deal with her was that she was the personification of a type, whatever, 102 TARDIS or something like that. But luckily, you know, we do this, we do the fan service, and we're done. So I think that's very clever. Um
0: and it's, it that was also done really very well. I, I thought uh, they, exactly. They, they, it was done right. well, and I don't think it did. It, it was even though it might have been done like for the fans in a sense, it wasn't done so that if you're not a fan, you would not be able to enjoy this episode as well. You know, it's it's not alienating in any way. If you if you're just coming into Doctor Who with Matt Smith, I think you can enjoy this episode just as much as if you've been watching it for years.
4: I, I absolutely think that you're right there. I mean, Neil Gaiman is is walking a very in line here but i think it doesn't look like he's putting any effort into it at all i mean it just all happens so organically that you know when things are dropped like the eye of orion if you don't know what the eye of orion is it doesn't matter yeah. because he mm-hmm. you know he gives you enough information that you know that the eye of orion is some sort of restful place and of course the doctor is not going to like a restful place so you get enough information in the thing to you know deal with it exactly. and like the thing that passed you by you know the hypercube if you don't even if you've never seen the war games, that's fine. It doesn't matter. It, it makes perfect sense, and it gives us something that we can use in the future. Just like um, the fob watches gave us in series three. You know, when we were first introduced to the fob watch, we thought, okay, it's just this. It's just this one chameleon. Arch, it's only to do with the Doctor. But then in Utopia, when we see another fob watch, we're like, oh my god, yeah. this is going to be something big. Or when we get to the next Doctor, there's a fob watch. Oh my god, we're going to get another Time Lord. Well, now we have another similar device, where if we see
0: another Hypercube again, which I'm kind of hoping we do. Um, by, that, by the way, I think I do recall it now. It, it, it just sort of like magically appeared on the TARDIS console in, exactly. in Trouton's. Yeah, I think it's uh,
4: I want to say it's episode nine. It might be episode yeah. eight of the War Games, but yeah, it's it's definitely in there. Um, but it's it's um, it's cool that we have another one of these little things that means time lord, and you know you can well imagine already the pre-title sequence of another episode when all of a sudden here comes the hypercube and you're like, oh, there's the time lord again. So I think that's lovely that. You know, we've got something that connects us to the War Games, but at the same time doesn't do so, so heavily, and also is a predictor for something that might happen in the future. So that's quite lovely. Um, I think, too, I was perfectly happy with the way that we got more interior TARDIS space here, because I think it was done in a way that if you don't like the design, it doesn't matter, because this was... House controlling the TARDIS. This was House putting together on the fly. I think these corridors in such a way as to confuse Rory and Amy. And mm-hmm. you you can well imagine that if House is not there, the corridors don't necessarily look like this. They don't have to. Yeah, they yeah, might because I mean, well, they've I, already I, yeah. put, you know spent the money on building that set. Yeah. But they don't but have to.
0: They don't have to. Right. And, they don't, and they don't need to be configured that way, too. Just like the last call, our, our mystery presenter was saying that, I think right. it was him, that it didn't, they weren't doorways to other rooms there. But that could just been house manipulating the corridors that way. Right. And I have to
4: say, I didn't like him that much. I mean, I kind of did. They kind of made some design sense. But the one thing I really, really didn't like about it was automatic doors. The interior of the TARDIS does not have automatic doors. Yeah, it not in my
0: world. It, it seemed I mean, a bit bu-
4: militaristic.
0: you know. Well, it, it, it.
4: Seemed, it seemed a bit Star Trek Enterprise. It seemed totally Star Trek.
0: Th- that or um, that. Oh, but the sides of the, the, the corridors reminded me a bit of like, like a Battlestar, if you will. It just seemed like...
4: Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, certainly. The, the sh- there's certainly yeah, I can get, dig that. But, I mean, to me, the one design element that the interior of the TARDIS must have is that there's no automatic damn doors. There's no whooshing sound. <laughs> uh,
0: I mean, seriously, when has that ever happened before? But the maybe maybe that's a house element. Maybe it's not normally I there. Know that is a house element. Because to me, I've always
4: likened the interior of the TARDIS to the interior of Willy Wonka's Chaka Factory, where there are all these infinite doors, you know, that you mm-hmm. go into. Um, which is one of the things I didn't like about j and era, because that was sort of cookie cutter. But at least it, too, you know, oh, here's the little door it opens, there's the cricket patch. All right. I can deal with that, um, but ah, these little doors that slide open that kind of threw me out of it a little bit. Um, but you know that was that 's such a tiny thing there's so much that's good here i mean the the, um, the glory I think uh, of the episode is how many things it makes sense of, for instance. Um, here you have the Valley of the Dead Tardises, right? Mm-hmm. They all have working chameleons or had working chameleon circuits and yet all of the stuff that's there is ordinary household objects, really, which I think fundamentally explains the Matt Smith Tardis. I mean, one of the things that I like the Matt Smith Tardis console, but one of the things that's always sort of niggled in the back of my mind is why does it look so ordinary. I mean, why are there taps on it? Why is there a pinball machine? I love all that stuff, but why is it like that? And I think that what this explains is that a working chameleon circuit changes the interior of the TARDIS as well as the exterior. And I, and I think it really explains why the Matt Smith TARDIS is the way that it is. Um, and, you know, take it in concert with the line that we got um, in that in those meanwhile and TARDIS things that were on the season five box set, you know, where the Doctor mm-hmm. says the command circuit actually does work, it just calculates the uh, precise thing that it should be, and then in one nanosecond gives me a, an appropriate exterior, and then it changes it back to a police box, and I think that's great because you can imagine now that. Um, Because we know the TARDIS is, you know, the dimensions of the TARDIS TARDIS is sentience, we can quite easily say now that the Chameleon Circuit absolutely works. It just works in the way that the TARDIS wants it to work, which I think is a lovely concept. And and it helps to inform lots of things. It helps to inform Attack of the Cybermen. It helps to inform a little... um, audio story called The Deep in which Nyssa appears to um, repair the chameleon circuit, but it turns instead into a whale. Um, Lots of things like that. And it also explains, you know, the very first episode or well, the second episode of Doctor Who. You know, why does it suddenly stay in the form of a police box? Well, I think we can imagine that the reason might be is because now the TARDIS is, Traveling with people who are from one thousand nine hundred and sixty three london and that 's an appropriate thing that they will always recognize as the tardis and so the tardis is imposing this thing in order to be a familiar object, maybe, and after a while that just becomes a thing that it wants to do. Um, I think the thing about the you know, push to open i've loved that because you know while you might point out that the little sign is actually on the you, you phone mean pull, pull to open just pull to open, my mm-hmm. pause is yes, the pull to open thing. While um, we might imagine that's really just talking about the you know, telephone cubbyhole, it is actually talking about the, the way that real police boxes are supposed to work. One of the complaints, if you, if you look into um, websites having to deal with people who make replica police boxes mm-hmm. and they actually study the history sure. of actual police boxes, is that it's not supposed to be that the doors go inward. They're supposed to go outward. Um, So that was lovely. And it also helps to explain moments that people have bitched about before, like in The Eleventh Hour or The Ice Warriors, where the TARDIS is on its side, but the doors are flipped outward. Mm -hmm. Um, we We have here an explanation that the Doctor wants to make the doors go whatever direction he damn well wants them to go. And so with that simple little statement, we're done talking about how doors should open on the TARDIS.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, Which I think is great. It's fine. I don't, I don't, re- didn't really have a problem with that. I was just kind of just going off with it. But I mean, it's, I never had a problem with, uh, maybe because no. I'm in the US, I, I, I'm not really familiar with how they should be or shouldn't be. So I never had an issue with how the doors opened.
4: Right. And I think that that's, that's what's great. Like you said about this episode is if you don't know things, you know, no Dr. to that, well, I mean, I'm not trying to imply that you don't know Doctor Who. i was just saying, if you don't, if you don't know a particular aspect of the script and what Gaiman is trying to reference, it doesn't matter, really, um, because it's still funny on some level, or it still makes sense at at a particular level. And the oh, absolutely. more you know about wh- what he's trying to get to, I think the more that you you kind of get out of it. Which is, you know, it's this lovely, as you put it, sort of a, a, an onion skin approach to writing the episode that that helps out people of all different uh, knowledge levels. Um, I, I think, too, you know, uh, one of the other things that I love about the episode is that we get, you know, it's not just that Idris is female, and so therefore when the TARDIS goes into her body, the TARDIS for that moment appears to be female. It is that the TARDIS actually is female, because when you, we go to the Valley of the Lost TARDISes, You know, her reaction is, I've lost all my sisters, or this is where all my dead sisters are. So I think finally, we can actually literally call the TARDIS she without coming across as sexist. It is a she.
0: Yeah, well, I don't, I don't yeah. know about that. I mean, she, she, she could just have been saying that because she, she was a she at that point, and, um, and and, and it goes back to this whole, uh, I don't know. Um, I, I still don't understand what, how, you know, uh, you know, I never do it myself. Really, refer to uh, vehicles in agenda form, but it goes back to the seafaring people on Earth mm. calling their ships, you know, she and all that, and. Yeah, but why would she... But, 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 but why would... A, other a, unless Tardis's mate with each other, I don't really think the, the, they would be she's or he's. I mean, they could take a persona of a she or a he, but I don't know, you know, I can't, you know... He's...
3: Again, I mean... You're, you're I, thinking of more of a sat-nav, aren't you, where you can have a male voice or a female voice. but I, 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 I err more towards Darth's interpretation of it, but it's. I don't think it's nailed down, Darth, but it, I think no. it, it is... Um, well, a big indicator of that, and and I would take it. I, I mean, yeah, okay,
4: maybe I don't know. Maybe it's not nailed down, but to me it seems pretty clear. You know, why would she, why would she use gender-specific terms? And all of that. But I mean, I guess we could say, you know, that whole business about oh, you know, send a telepathic message to the pretty one, and she thinks Rory's the pretty one. I mean, I guess we could get into all sorts of, you know, gender assignment roles and all that, but I think the common sense reading of that is she's a girl, so the pretty one is the guy. Mm. I, I don't know. But at, at any rate, it at least does address the issue of why the Doctor refers to the TARDIS as a she fairly consistently throughout, you know, the entire history of Doctor Who. So I, I kind of dug that. Um but there's, you know, just uh, a lot of different references that are layered throughout that have to do with old episodes. You know, there's the, the certainly the Eye of Orion thing, certainly the, the Leading of Rooms. Um, and, and one thing that I was particularly excited about, and this, I guess, is where I'll stop. Well, one more thing. Uh, but one other little reference that I thought was really cool is this is the first time that... A, an episode of BBC Wales Doctor Who has referenced an idea that comes from an American comic book, um, granted written by Tony Lee, who's a Brit. But still, the idea of there being TARDIS consoles saved to be brought up as necessary later is something that comes directly from Tesseract, which is a, a story from 2010 – early 2010 – um, in the IDW Doctor Who range with the 10th Doctor, and he goes through and, you know, he finds the, the uh, Peter Davison console in the TARDIS, um, and another one, too, I think. Um, so I think it's, re- it's kind of cool that, you know, from a comic writer like Neil Gaiman, we get a reference to something that is relatively current in Doctor Who comics.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, but, you know... I guess that, narratively, that's about where I'm at. But uh, a little shout out to the behind-the-scenes team. Uh, you know, we had here the return of Owen McPolin, Owen McPolin, who's the cinematographer, and hasn't been around since the 11th Hour, which is just a beautifully lit episode. Um, and here, I think he gets even more opportunity to show off his skills as the director of photography because it's so dependent upon changing the lighting within the TARDIS. Yeah. Um, And we just see some really magnificent things going on with with lighting in this episode. Uh, And really, I mean, a lot of the, almost everything is, the fear of the episode is generated by the lighting and really nothing else. Yeah, because that's,
0: yeah, I mean, the voice and that's it, you know, that's the entity of of the house is really the voice and, and, and the lighting, really, you know. Mm.
4: Um, and I, I, I guess I'll finish by asking you a question, Lewis, because you might know the answer to this. I, I asked it uh, earlier on another cast, but um, yeah, this, is, uh, this episode credits Russell T. Davies as the creator of the Ood. And I was just wondering if you knew whether he actually has a percentage ownership of the Ood in the same way that Terry Nation does of the Daleks? Because uh, it's really—I mean—it's unusual. I—I I never thought I'd see any new series writer of any stripe being credited for the creation of a character. Because I just assumed the BBC was smarter than that now, and that they had somehow—you know—when you write an episode now, for a, it becomes entirely the property of the BBC. Yeah, I—I um,
0: I don't know If that's the case or not, it could be very well be that it was a creative decision to give some recognition to JNT's creation of the Ood. Um, You know, uh, for that matter, if they're going to do that, you know, um, Sidney Newman should be in the end credits somewhere. I don't know. Yeah.
4: Right. Well, something to think about. Anyway, yeah, great episode. Five out of five.
0: All right. Fantastic. well, thank you once again, Darth. It's always a delight to have you on board and getting your take on things. Thank you very much, sir. All right, we'll choose. Oh, I think I just got on the off accidentally. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's... Uh, well, I'm going to give you... Uh, I think, Dave, you gave it four? What was uh, it? Well, it's one of those stories that started off... A four eight it crept up to a four and a half. Actually for it got me better it, as it went on, I thought. It for me it was the same way. I it's I'm giving it a four and a half out of five Tardis groans. I, the, the reason why maybe not five and this is gonna sound I don't know. I don't know whatever daft on my part was just I mean the story great story uh good acting it just seemed like it was just missing and I can't say what it's like when you're eating something and, and it tastes great but it just seems like I don't know one ingredient is missing or and I can, really can't say oh well if only they did this or if only they did that it's not that it was just I don't know maybe if it was just I I don't know. Maybe it's just maybe it's just me or maybe I'll um as I, I'll I I again I think I I enjoyed it probably slightly better on the on the second time around than the first, but but I still enjoyed it. It's still four and a half out of five is still very good and um I, I guess that's yeah, where, um, where I'm at. We're
3: getting ratings coming in on the text, uh Zimbipot sixty nine,
0: five out
3: five out of five, Sonic screwdriver uh, five out of five. Guest ten. Five out of five. Enterprise. Who? Five out of five. Sonic Sam. Uh, <laughs> three and three quarters out of five. Seventh Doctor. Uh, four and three quarters out of five. Uh, and I think that's all the ones I've caught in text for you.
0: Well, we also I should make a note, and I failed to make a mention of it now our last episode, but on our website, net you can vote on each time a new episode comes out, we have a poll and you can vote on it. And right now, 64% are giving it five out of five and 36% are giving it uh four out of five and no 0% on all the other ones. So no one gave it a zero, no one gave it a one or two or three. So definitely this is one of the higher rated uh, stories and, um, just to kind of go back to our previous episode, Curse of the Black Spot, uh, no one gave that one 5 out of 5. Uh, 36% gave it 4, 57% gave it um, 3. So, and, uh, right. so and just to show how many people we've
3: got in the room, uh, guess 56, <laughs> 5 out of 5, Cybob 5, uh, and uh, guess 49, 5 out of 5. And guess 10 says, uh, if some people are giving it four, what, I think
0: he means, what do you have to do to get a five? <laughs> <laughs> Well, again, I really enjoyed it, so um, it's definitely a a great episode. And I I think Neil Gaiman was a a – you know, I wasn't – to be honest, um, I'm not that familiar before this with – I mean, I knew of Neil Gaiman. I'm just not familiar with his work. So, um, you know, my expectations were just kind of neutral except for the point that everyone else was so – you know, obviously – he he He's a notable author and well liked and um so there was a lot of anticipation on, on what this was going to be like but i I think he didn't let you down and if you do ha- and happen to catch the confidential, he sort of reads his script in parts of it, and he does it very well I wouldn't mind him if there's a um an audio book of this at some point, it would be great to have him reading it because um, he he reads the story wonderfully. If you if catch Doctor Who confidential for this episode, it's called Bigger on the Inside. He He's a, a guest in that, you know.
3: Excellent. Uh, he did just mention that one scene that wasn't filmed that had to be cut, that where they yeah. were in the the, uh, the, mm-hmm. the gra- not the graveyard the the scrapyard, and they can 't see tardises because they 've still got the chameleons they' got the chame- I, I meant to
0: mention mention that when Darth yeah. was talking about it earlier than but he went off you know the discussion yeah. led elsewhere and i didn 't want to bring it back to that but yeah, there was a a cut scene that uh well i don't i don't think it was actually shot, but it was a scene that he yeah. had written where they were the chameleon circuits were engaged, and that's why you didn't you know wasn't Evident, you know, by looking that they were tortoises there, which is kind of cool. And there was also he speaks of another, and these are available on the BBC website on in the Doctor Who official website on the BBC, uh, where th- there's videos of him talking about the these cutscenes. And there's another one that, uh, again, they didn't shot, but the that white psychic box was supposed to appear at a, a crucial point of another adventure that. that this episode was supposed to start in the middle of and i think probably they they just changed that because of course because that it was um some sort of rain um rain people they were being uh, chased by and cornered and this white box sort of gets them out of it and um they they, they would have to have hire people for that and shoot elsewhere or whatever so yeah, i think it was just a cost cutting thing and time saving thing that they didn't shoot that yeah uh,
3: and guest 58 is put uh they're scoring another about five out of four out of five for him. And one very last thing: if if you are, can in the UK and see the videos on the BBC site, if you go to this page, uh, bbc.co.uk/forward/slash/programs/forward/slash/b uh, b as in boy b as in boy double eight, uh, four nine. If you click below on four, 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 six, the fourth dimension four D.
0: I'm 40, sorry. Yeah, you yeah. said nine.
3: B, B one double one double eight four D. If you click on the fourth dimension link under the clip, there's some text there, and if you check the text very carefully, there's a clue to an Easter egg video that you can find. Oh. Assuming that that video will play where you are.
0: All right. So once again, it's uh, BBC.co.uk/programs. Uh, that's programs with a M E S at the end, Double the, M-E-S, in, in yeah. the English way, and um, slash B as in boy, zero one one eight eight four D as in Donald, or yeah. or Dave A C Cooper in this case.
3: <laughs> click on the fourth dimension link underneath. Read the text very
0: carefully, and it will lead you to a hidden Easter egg. Cool. All right, well, I think that's going to wrap things up. Uh, I do want to make another reminder about next week. We're having a uh, meet-up and party on Second Life on Saturday, and then once again we're recording another live show reviewing the, the Rebel Flesh, and Dave has put together a quick um, preview of the Rebel Flesh, which we'll, we'll play right now. The Flesh.
2: It's fully programmable matter. It acts like life, but it still needs to be controlled by
3: us. They can't remain stable without us plumbed into them.
1: Trust me, I'm the doctor.
0: So we'll be back next Sunday at uh, or, or this coming Sunday, as you're listening to this, for our next live show and reviewing The Rebel Flash. And that's the uh, same time, 4 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Um, adjust your time accordingly. Anything else, Dave? Dave, I, I should also um, make a mention that you can listen to uh, these episodes being reviewed on The Cultum Collective, which is also on TalkShoe. And, Dave, can you uh, give our listeners yep. the TalkShoe ID number? Yeah, TalkShoe ID,
3: 54821 we go out two hours earlier on the Sunday, also available
0: on iTunes, and we will be doing a, a commentary that will be up uh, midweek as well. So check that out, the Cultum Collective, which she does with um, Ian Ian Bissett, the, a.k.a. Sixth. The Sixth Doctor. That's great. Thank you. All right, so until next time, thank you once again, Dave, and thank you for all those callers and all our listeners. And um, until then, cheers, everyone. Bye. You've been listening to Dr. Who Pachak, presented by the fan run Gallifrey Dr. Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC Dr. Who Parchock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way Dr. Who Pachak theme music by Jeff Smith at thejeffsmith.com This has been a production of Art Trap Productions and is presented to you by the Gallifrey Embassy and has been made possible in part by Pachock supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode is also supported by the Pachock Podcast Companion app for iOS devices, now available in the iTunes App Store.
1: lights I'm getting rid of those. They hey. never stop. And somebody's knocking. Come here, you scrumptious little beauty. Ah! Ah! A box? Doctor, what is it? I've got mail.